Everybody, welcome back to the Beyond the Peloton podcast. I'm Spencer Martin from the Beyond the Peloton newsletter. As always, I'm here with Andrew Vance from the Choose the Hard Way podcast. We are doing our second annual January ramble where we just kind of discuss uh, a few uh, list of topics that have been going on so far in cycling in 2024. But Andrew, before we get into this, do you want to say anything about your podcast, Choose the Hard Way? Yeah, Choose the Hard Way is a podcast about how hard things build stronger humans who have more fun. My most recent guest is Michael Marks, the creator of the Belgian Waffle Ride series. And you got to come check it out. Everything you've ever wanted to know about uh, running a marathon at age 12 and launching one of the most influential mixed surface series in the world. I also wanted to share Spencer, as you know, but our audience does not. I have been working on a, uh, a startup along with another former Strava executive and we are going to have some big news dropping here in the next two weeks. So watch my social handles at Vance and at Hardway Pod for news on that and how you can try the beta. So stay tuned. Well, yeah, I, I'm excited and I'm, I won't say what it is, but I'm also excited to try the beta because I need it. That's that's a teaser. Just try to figure out what I need right now. <laughs> but Andrew, we were going through our our pre-show with our highly, highly paid producer, you know, making mids seven figures at this super professional operation we have here. And we thought Greg Van Avermaet announcing that he's doing unbound gravel in twenty twenty four. You're like, well, that's mildly interesting. Ben Abermatt, recently retired superstar. We've kind of seen this, you know, happen to with mixed results. You have guys like uh, Peter Sagan, who don't just don't take it seriously, just out there having fun. And then you have what is I, I'm blanking on this man's name. The the man I'm thinking of is Lawrence Tendam. Oh, Lawrence Tendam. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mid mid forties, decorated road rider, very good, very good in gravel. I'm sure takes it very seriously. Another guy, actually, that I don't think we've ever talked about is Peter Vadic Vakok. Yeah, that's the guy. Second, the past two years at Unbound, I believe. Yeah, and he's in his prime, and he's a pro bike racer, like a pro road racer, and then also is a very good gravel racer. The thing, actually, that's a good segue into. I don't know how we didn't talk about this on the podcast, how we missed this. We're probably the world's foremost unbound beat reporters. But Matty Motoric, I announced that he's doing unbound in 2024. This is notable because he's an active pro, 29 years old, like in the prime of his yeah. career, really good rider. One of the best pure stage hunters, probably less left. And he can also win one day classics like we saw with Milano San Remo. But he's doing, you know, Perry Roubaix, which is in April. Then he's doing unbound. June 1st, Tour of Slovenia, June 12th, and then Tour de France at the end of June. Wow. Is this a good idea? I mean, I guess I'm I'm curious to see how he does. I'm A, worried he won't do well because he's not training as much as Keegan. Like Keegan puts in, actually, I don't know. We should fact check that. But the training load you do for like for these like 200 mile, 10 hour races, I'd assume is different than the training load you're doing for what is a sprint race by comparison, you know, four to six hours, six hours at the absolute longest on the road, but like a four to six hour high explosion, fast race. I'm not quite sure how he's going to balance that. You know, maybe he'll be fine if he shows up on that training, but then the fatigue he's going to, he's going to register there and then carry that into a really difficult June with the Tour de France. That seems really hard. Yeah, it does seem really hard. I will say Setting aside the fact that, yeah, it's probably not the best move to have that, 
to have a transcontinental flight, getting to Emporia, doing that race, and then getting back to Europe seems like it's going to be highly disruptive to it. To <laughs> it's hard. It's hard for me to yeah. get to Emporia. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's not the easiest place to get to from Europe in particular. So like he's got a, a bit of a long haul there. I also think that the more important point here is we're finally going to get to answer this question that's raised all the time of how are these top gravel pros going to fare against world tour riders at the absolute peak of, <laughs> of their careers? Is it, I don't know about you, Spencer. I don't know what goes down at Vecchio's or the Scratch Cafe, but in my circles, there are a lot of discussions <laughs> about well, you know, I think Russell Finsterwald could probably take down Wout at Unbound or, you know, Keegan going one-on-one -on -one in his environment versus Matthew Vanderpool. I think Keegan's going to pull out the win. He might. We're going to find out now. He's going against the very biggest gun in pro gravel. I mean, they did have, they did go head-to-head -head at Gravel Worlds in 23. However, you know, there are a lot of questions about the format of that event, the start, the gridding, that's all going out the window. And now we're going to really see the magic happen. I, I am privy to this, the same debate. And I often think that, I often think there's a major misunderstanding of, you know, like your local pro or like Russell Finsterwall, I guess in Colorado would be a local pro, like you know, his level compared to wow, I feel like people tend to compress that too much and think that like, you know, I'm actually not that far from wow. Or like, you know, is he really that strong? It's like, you got to understand his FTP. And I know FTPs on the way out. People don't like to use it anymore. We're talking like significantly higher than even the strongest rider we could imagine like Keegan Swenson. So yeah, th these guys are at a different level. I, I do kind of wonder if there is something too, like, you know, Keegan gets them on his turf on Unbound. What a weird race. It's an un unusual race as like, you know, Larry Warbus coming out of the Giro last year, you'd think he would be primed to challenge for the win. And then he just like gets held up in mud in the first six miles and he's walking for half an hour. You know, it's just an odd race. Like I do kind of wonder if the local American gravel pros will have the advantage here and that They'll be able to focus on it, and Matty Modric won't be focused on it. I really want to get him on this show before he does this race. I'm very curious to, A, pick his brain about his thought process here, and then we have to warn him about what awaits him in Emporia, and that he needs to get out there and, uh, and practice uh, riding through some of the deepest, toughest mud that he's ever seen. But I guess also, too, like Peter, Peter Vakok, he's on Alpecin. He's a good rider. You know, he's not like lighting the world on fire. Like he's won some good races. You would not say he's a Galactico though. So the fact that he's finishing one second behind Keegan Swenson at Unbound after being held up in the chute by a slow rider probably would tell us that, you know, someone a level above him would have good success there. So, you know, maybe Motorich would just show up and destroy everyone. But this is super fun to watch. And I am curious to see if Greg Van Avermaet takes the Peter Sagan party route or takes the um, I'm really serious about this and I want to try to win this route. Yeah, so, I think, I'm, yeah, I think just from a sponsor point of view, cause I think in the past we've had Sagan show up. Don't forget Remco at BWR Kansas. I think it was 2018 and those were both definitely specialized flying people in for marketing opportunities. I think they collected some diverged collateral. I don't think that's what's happening here. I can't think of any 
sponsors that Mohoric has who care about, <laughs> about gravel racing or yeah. bike racing in, in um, central Kansas. So I think that it's going to go off and I have a feeling that he's going to do okay. If there's mud, I think he'll figure out how to ride through it pretty well. Uh, this, the thing that this is reminding me of Spencer is I think it was, I'd have to fact check myself, but the year that the UCI cycling world, uh, mountain bike world championships were in Vail, which I, again, I'd have to fact check myself. I want to say it was 91 or 92 when Ned Overend won. And that also was the year Thomas Frischnick probably would have won, but he crashed on the Vail bike path. He like ran into somebody, I think, and, <laughs> and broke his collarbone. Like, oh, yeah, no. no kidding. The night before the race. I don't know if you've ever ridden on that, that bike I'll path. Been on that path. Yeah. That is a great place to break a collarbone. Yeah. That and the Aspen bike paths. You're like, I'm the highest chance of crashing here than anywhere else I ride. Yeah. So, uh, that's kind of, that's kind of what this is making me think about. I feel like the Euro, like the very heaviest hitters from Europe are coming over. We've seen, you know, like, as you mentioned, we've had LTD, some other very talented riders in the past, but like people at the absolute peak of their careers, taking this very seriously and riding to win. I think we're going to see a different kind of race. And we didn't talk about this before we started talking to a lot of my sources in the gravel pro gravel world. I don't know if you've noticed this, Spencer, things have gotten real, real tight with sponsor dollars in the domestic pro gravel scene this year. And I, I think that part of what's happening is, as this gets more serious, you know, some of the sponsor dollars are being allocated more in the direction of world tour level talent. Um, so I, I think that like the, the epoch of the privateer being able to make a pretty good go of it after coming off the world tour or maybe rising up from the ashes of the domestic uh, mountain bike scene to step into the gravel big leagues. I'm wondering if those, those days are perhaps numbered from a financial point of view for these riders. Yeah, that's a very good point. Same thing. It mirrors what happened in road where you have you know, you're able to like race on the road guys. We should have Clark Sheehan on, by the way, he'd be a great resource for this, but guys were racing on the road in the U S in the mid nineties, making a lot of money, like good money. And, but they were not, you know, at the level of the best, best riders in the world, but it's almost like a efficient market theory. You know, as time goes on, everything kind of aggregates. It's like winners, winner takes all, everything aggregates the top, top, top. And as soon as people realize, you know, I really think as soon as like GCN came along and we could watch any race we wanted all over the world, it's like, well, why am I going to watch? I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but let's just say like, you know, go ahead, why go would ahead I watch and do Red it. Rev, rev that bus why up. Why would I watch yeah. Redlands? Like, I don't need to watch Redlands Bike Classic because I can watch Challenge Myrka, which is a pretty good race with some of the best riders in the world. Do the market for second and third level pro sports is just not good in any sport and cycling is already a niche. So you kind of iron out these inefficiencies of, you know, decent riders. Even when I was coming up and I was wanting to be, you know, the, the 15th best rider on rally, which turned into human powered health. And then they, you know, either got really big. So like rally turned into a European focus team. And then you had, you know, there used to be teams that raced just in the U S and you could make a livable salary racing for them. 
but they just kind of went away. Like if they didn't make the jump to light speed, there's just no market for someone. No one wants to sponsor, you know, like the 400th best cyclist in the world racing, you know, a tier D race. It's just hard to command an audience for that. And it's hard for a, for a sponsor to get ROI, unless you have an amazing social media presence or you're a professional YouTuber. It seems like it'd be hard to, to send a compelling packet to a sponsor because they're going to say, you know, if you're not in the top five, like we don't really have a ton of interest here. Yeah. So I think that those sponsor dollars are contracting and on the business side of the bike industry, you all have probably been reading about this, but there is a glut of inventory. These companies all, some of them, honestly, like they doubled or tripled the prices of bikes between 2019 and 2024. And now they're kind of stuck with these prices that I feel like they can't, they can't yeah. back away from. They're sitting on inventory. All the demand was pulled forward during the pandemic. Everybody who was desperate to get a bike got a bike. Maybe they've now left the sport of cycling and they're selling that bike. And I don't think that there are a lot of people out there clamoring for that fourth or fifth $15,000 bike right now, <laughs> except in a few uh, very specific geographic areas, most of which are probably in the Bay Area or New York. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a very good point. As it, it is, it feels funny because all these bike brands are saying, "Oh, we we have too much product." And I'm like, "Well, why are your your prices are really high? You know what you could do to get rid of that product? Lower your prices. The product's going to sell." The problem is, as you say, they don't want to back down. They don't want to like fundamentally change the price of a product they recently increased. I noticed Kona had a two for one sale recently. Yeah. It's a clever little way to, I guess, sell a bike for you know half off without actually doing so. I don't really know who needs two bikes at one time. I guess you and a buddy, if you both want a bike, you could buy one for the price of one and then split that and you'd effectively be getting a 50% discount on, on your purchase. But it, yeah, I, I think the slowdown in sales has contributed to a lot of these private, like the privateer model, essentially the bottom falling out of yeah. it. Like, uh, yeah, it's, and then you have Matty Motorich coming over, you know, he, he's riding a Merida. Yeah, next year for for Bahrain, they don't even sell bikes in the U.S. So it's clearly not some sort of stunt to sell more Merida bikes in the U.S. market because you physically can't do it. And he's probably going to do pretty well. And then that's going to push people that are you know focusing on gravel for their careers even further down that results list. Get they're going to get less attention, and then it will probably be harder for them to get a sponsorship the following. Yeah, year. I mean, my read on the Kona two for one deal was either. One, they're really desperate and trying to dump excess inventory. Or two, this is really the optimal deal for someone um, traveling by PJ from the Bay Area to their Truckee home, and they, <laughs> they just want to have the same bike in both locations. So Spencer, you briefly mentioned GCN. Maybe you know more about this than I do. I don't, like, what's going on? GCN appears to still be putting out, you know, is a recumbent faster than a tricycle videos like they're still <laughs> and I, i'm watching every one of they're them keep serving them up i can't be they're stopped. still pumping out this content i like what's what's the deal here what's i guess there's still yeah. a youtube hit machine huh yeah it's it's a good question it's like i've fed you this question but i i've been thinking about this a lot recently i actually think they've ramped up youtube content so they shut down the app they shut down the app no longer exists gcn plus no longer exists which was the premium 
race viewing slash documentary viewing arm of GCN. GCN still exists as a company and it is essentially just a YouTube media house and e-commerce store. Like if yeah. you go on the global site and, and they have a great website, globalcycling.com. It's like the best cycling news website there is, you know, it's super clean. They don't sell a lot of ads. You can read it. It doesn't blow your computer up if you try to open it like other cycling news websites. And so that's still functioning. They just really wanted to cut the costs associated with the app. I think the app was costing them a ton of money. And airing the races was you know, not in the priority of Warner Brothers Discovery, their parent company, because they just thought, oh, we'll move it over to Max because we want people to sign up for Max. And so just to give a little bit of you know, primer on this, as we get into talking about cyclocross and road, people might have the question, "How sounds fun. How do I watch this? Well, I've been doing the research for you. It's not that easy. Uh, one option is you can sign up for a Eurosport or Discovery Plus subscription, which is what GCN turned into in Europe. So GCN went away in Europe, but they can just sign up for Discovery Plus, which is another Warner Brothers Discovery app, and they can watch all the races on there. Fantastic. Eurosport players, same thing, but it's more of a web-based one. It's better if you're using a VPN because you can't use a VPN on an app. You have to go to the website on your phone or a computer and then hardwire it into the TV because they don't let you cast it. Whoa. Um, it gets a little... Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. That hurts. It does hurt. That does hurt. Um, I, I've got a setup where I'm doing it. It's okay once you kind of have it streamlined. But the toughest thing about it is you need to pay for it with a credit card based in the country that you're purchasing from, that your VPN is coming from. So that's that's hard to do. You know, you could go to... A, you know, a grocery store in Germany and buy like a prepaid card, put a couple hundred bucks As on it. As one does. That's the, yeah, that's the card you, you pay for on it. Yeah. I mean, it's like, who, who's not doing that? But just take the channel over when you're in London. It's not that difficult. I, I mean, it would be but, tough right now with protests in France. I'm sure you've seen tractors are, are blocking uh, exits from the channel currently. Manure going everywhere. Yeah. They're, they're spraying it around. It's ugly. But so if you don't want to do that, Max is a web is not a website. Max is an app in the US that used to be HBO. We won't get into what happened there. Weird corporate strategy, mergers, et cetera. But they have a it's called a BR Sports add-on package. And so it's all Warner Brothers, Warner Brother Discoveries sports products on there. It's currently free if you have Max. They will start charging for it extra at some point. Cycling is included in this. It includes, I believe, and th they don't tell you. You just have to like look for it. I believe it's pretty much all of GCN's assets that they like all the races they were airing are now on Max. Here's the problem. You know, if you search like Challenge Mallorca is going on this week, pretty fun little race. Like I really enjoy watching in the morning. Mallorca looks amazing. Brandon McNulty, Alexander Vlasov look like they're in great shape. You get to watch them on a new course every day. You know, it, if you search it, if you Google it on a computer and you say like, you know, challenge Mallorca, stage three, watch USA Max, you'll get a URL that works and you can watch the race on it. Sometimes it cuts out with 10K to go like yesterday, but sometimes it does work. The problem is they just haven't figured out how to put it on the app. Like they're, they're just so lost in their own sauce. They don't even know what they have and it doesn't even exist. On, you could pay for the app to watch this and then not even be able to do so because it's just not on there. So that's a problem. I hope they're getting that ironed out by the end of uh, this coming month when the racing gets more serious. 
I'd assume there's some sort of plan there. Like when they start charging for the VR sports add-on, they're going to have to figure out how to actually show you the sports that they're charging you extra for. Um, but you know, it's, you're going to have to, to, to bear with them over the next month. If you go to like the beyond the Peloton newsletter and go to the comment section, I often post the, the link for the show for the races that I've talked about upcoming in that post. So you can hunt and peck around there if you really want it. Hopefully it's on the app soon though. What? But that's the, that's the skinny on GC. One thing you won't have any trouble finding right now are videos of the CBR season opener that went down in Dominguez Hills this past weekend. Whether you want to see GoPro footage of uh, like the juniors 9 to 11 or Cat 3 4, Cat 3 4 Masters 55 plus, Pro Race, um, Pro Race winner, Pro Race 88th place, it's up. There is heavy, heavy coverage of, I mean, this is one of the most important events on the domestic criterium calendar it is on and it is on youtube so don't miss it it's on youtube so that's where you watch it and you bring up a good point youtube there are now that gcn's fallen apart like a lot of smaller races are just there's just pirate feeds on youtube and they're pretty good like tour down under someone was just pirating on youtube and it was pretty good and all i should mention tour down under and all aso races are on peacock i know peacock has been I thought it was like a well-known app, but they put an NFL game on it and everyone's like, what the heck's Peacock? Why am I paying for this? What a piece of crap this app is. It's a good app. I will stand up for Peacock. I enjoy it. It has Premier League soccer. It has bike racing. It's a good app. Don't pick on it. It works pretty well. CBR, do you want to explain CBR? You know, talk about being being out of the loop. I, I am so lost with all these crit series that are popping up all over the yeah, US. Just stand back for a minute because I'm about to throw a football over the mountain. I actually wrote a, <laughs> I wrote a story for Velo News, I think in 2003 or 2004 about CBR. CBR is California Bicycle <laughs> Racing. It was a breakaway from USAC. I don't even know what USAC is called anymore, but it was back in the era you had Obra, which was Oregon Bicycle Racing Association. Mm -hmm. I think this eventually happened in Colorado. There was a great schism between USAC, Norba, and then all of these regional promoters who said, you know what, we don't want to deal with what's going down in Colorado Springs, uh, and we're going to have our own setup. So that's what CBR is. It was, uh, I believe it was started by Christopher Lotz, um, who used to run those races back when I was doing them in the early 2000s. And honestly, like they've become an institution in the American criterium scene and it's forged a lot of champions. The Williams brothers came up in uh, the CBR races. And today they're really like some of the most popular races if you want to see point of view criterium footage. And uh, they're, they happen on, they're, they're in industrial parks, typically one specific industrial park in Dominguez Hills is the most frequently used course and extremely wide streets. Uh, yeah, you've got to go check it out if you haven't. It's a very interesting form of bike racing to participate in. It's, it's kind of some of the most non-technical criterium racing that you could do. And that leads to a, a highly chaotic yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. it's just wild. It's just it's, like you're like, what's going on? Because like they're always people up the road. Then there's a giant dramatic surge or attack, and nothing ever seems to stick. And back in the day, it was Thurlow Rogers who rode for Lavi Claire, 
and on, I believe on the U S Olympic team in 84 was an institution in, um, in those CBR races back in the day. It does seem like California, you know, when you get to the really big crits and the California guys come out, it's like a really rough elbow style of racing. And I, I'm surmising it's because of what you're saying. A lot of the crits they do are wide open. And so it's really just about like physically pushing people around. In Colorado, it's more of like, like, how can you even, there's no jostling because you're just in a pace line going all out the whole time. There's like, there's no room for maneuvering, but I, yeah, I was like doing Tulsa tough with all the Cali guys. And I went to DC to do a local race and they were, I got like a lecture after the race about like taking corners on the inside. I'm like, you guys should go out to Cali and see what's going on out there. <laughs> like it's uh, not as orderly as this situation. Yeah. So that's something for everybody to look forward to. Let's talk, uh, let's jump over to Red Bull and these, this Red Bull Bora team that's going down Spencer and something that I don't hear discussed a lot. If not, if like when this happens, Red Bull's going to, you know, they're going to have economies of scale. They're going to be able to consolidate their sponsorship dollars and get more bang for their buck. Of course, rumors that Wout and Remco will be going there. You have to wonder about Pidcock, even though he's locked up in the Enios contract, does he potentially end up there? Spencer, something you never see discussed, what are these athletes actually getting paid as individuals by Red Bull? Because it's like, they, yeah. they like put them in this machine, they come out with a flat brim hat, it covers their ears. And, you know, there's some assumptions made, I think, about what the financial side of that is like, but what does it actually look like? I, I was just talking to someone in the know about this the other day. And I, apparently these are kind of like handshake lifetime deals, which does make sense. You rarely see anyone ever be sponsored by Red Bull and not be sponsored by Red Bull. So the dollar amount, you know, as is un- unfortunately the norm in, in sports, women are a lot, get a lot less than men. Um, like I heard a well-known American women, female cyclist makes $25,000 per year from a Red Bull sponsorship, you know, probably market rate would usually be around like 10 K a month. Um, so it's like a little over a hundred thousand a year, but you're just getting that forever, basically right. for as long as you want to do it. You know, surfers are really, they sponsor a lot of surfers. So it's like Kai Lenny's deal I would imagine has to be more than that. Um, I think they, They'll usually support those surfers with like a jet. They get a jet ski every year that has the Red Bull wrap. But you know, with like a Wout and Tom Pickcock, you have to imagine and rem- those have to be big deals. You know, to make it worth their while. Like if you're going to pay Wout a hundred grand to have a non-team issued helmet that he's going to race in a race, I, I don't think that would be worth Yumbo Visma's time or Ineos's time. I, I would imagine those deals are close to seven figures. You know, close to to what our producer makes. Yeah, I'm trying to recall maybe you remember spencer wild of course very well known for his striking hairstyle and antics it used to be a fixture on podiums everyone wears hats now do we see wout only with a hat on because if you're a red bull athlete you have to have a hat or a beanie on a hundred percent of the time like you can never just be like walking around wout really likes to flex the hair i do feel like even during the red bull era Wout that perhaps I've seen his hair on a podium. Am I incorrect? I feel like I have, unless I'm imagining that. I'm almost positive I have. It's a really good point. Maybe he takes a big haircut or a big pay cut, haircut, haircut, pay cut, um, to 
to show his hair on the podium. I, I don't know. But the, let's talk about the mechanics yeah, okay. of this really quick. So Red Bull buying Bora, 51% of the team. I think it's not technically approved until like the next, the end of next week. But let's just assume it goes through. So they own 51% of the team. I mean, Ralph Denk, who owns Bora Hands Grow, like chapeau to you because you just sold an asset that generates no income, is a license to write checks, has little value in terms of like hard assets. If you went to a bank to try to get a loan based on one of these teams, they would probably not give you very much money because they'd say you don't have very many assets. If this thing, if you lose your sponsors, you lose the whole team. So the fact that if he got any amount of cash for this, like good for him, yeah. you know, he built this team up from relatively nothing. So that's awesome for him. He gets a partner in Red Bull that I guess technically isn't contributing sponsor dollars because Bora and Hansgrow are signed through 2027. So maybe Red Bull could be a, you know, some sort of minor sponsor, but I think it'd be hard if Bora signed a title sponsorship deal with the team. I mean, I don't think you can really go to them and say, you're actually not the title sponsor anymore. So I don't really know what the strategy is there. Maybe they'll just be like a presenting sponsor something like that. Maybe they won't sponsor at all. Um, this also makes sense because Primoz Roglic either did his negotiations for Bora or signed his contract for them at the Red Bull Performance Headquarters in Austria. So this this must have been in the works for a while. Ralph Denk says they did not pay for the Roglic signing with with Red Bull money. They saved up over many years and, and paid for him. Piggy bank. They were putting euros yeah. into it. <laughs> <laughs> responsible saving they, they have kids. It, and maybe yeah, they, they have it in a bitcoin etf now <laughs> maybe they paid for his like transfer fee with that but actually i don't know if that totally if you the logic of that statement doesn't totally make sense because primos didn't start getting paid until january until this month so now that red bull owns the team the it it is by definition red bull's money at least half of red bull's money going to pay for primos so they are paying his salary. Maybe, maybe Bora could afford him because they could, you know, pay the uh, pay the transfer fee and keep him within the budget of what Bora and Hansgar are giving them. So we won't argue with Ralph Dank on the semantics there. But what is this change? You know, maybe something in the short term. I'd I'd actually be surprised if they're if they're a name sponsor by the tour. I'd be surprised. Probably my next year, and then yeah, what everyone is is talking about. And Red Bull is. I mean, they do have amazing back end synergies as far as performance they own a lot of soccer teams high performing soccer teams obviously f1 team is the most famous one great media department imagine if you're bora you're pumped about this because you're sponsoring this cycling team that's kind of famous not really you know pretty good but you know not a top tier team and now you have a partner coming in a red bull that has probably the world's best sports media production house that's going to amplify your brand so that's awesome for the sponsors that were already signed I wouldn't be surprised if that was mentioned to them when they signed those contracts, that this is a possibility. But with Remco, you know, the sponsored riders, it, it does get a little weird. So if Red Bull owns the team, it's not, I was reading the UCI regulations this week. It's not clear to me if they can own, that they can own the team and be sponsoring riders on rival teams. Because what you would be concerned about here is Tour de France 2024. Just let's pretend Wout and Tom Pickock are there. I know Wout's technically not going to be there. Red Bull says, you know, Primo's, Primo's is in the yellow jersey. We need some guys to work for us. Oh, wow. Well, your, your teammate, Jonas Vindigo, is technically racing against Primo's. We're paying you a lot of money per year, and we need your help right now. So they don't, they don't want collusion between 
they don't want riders essentially being paid by another team in a yeah. race. So that's why you can't have one company owning a team and then sponsoring riders on another team. So I don't know what's going to happen to the sponsorships. Another thing is th this, there's this rumor with like really well-connected people are saying this, that like Wout and Remco are like a lock to join where I'm like, well, they're both under contract through next year. So they'd have to be bought out. They can't stand each other. You'd think that's a little bit of an obstacle. And then is that really that good for Wout? So he goes to Bora. Primos, you know, Primos will phase out as a GC contender, but then he is, you know, like, and then he's working for Remco and Grand Tours. Is that really what, how Wout wants to spend his career? I don't think so. Yeah, it seems like there's some bad blood between Wout and Roglic at this point as well. I just, I don't think that that's going to be great. I think they're both, uh, if we put this like diplomatically, they're just both competitors. Yeah. You know, who want to yeah, win. that's fair. And I think it's hard for them to be on the yeah, same team. Team All About Me is the team that they're on. <laughs> as, as many champions are, whether they say it or yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's And fantastic. so, I mean, would you, like, do you, I mean, I guess it would be cool, like, if, if Red Bull had a super team and they have Tom Pickcock, Wout and Remco, I think it's easier to say this than for it to happen. Like, the number one, like, Red Bull can want to sign. It's not news that Red Bull's trying to sign these guys. Yeah. Every team should be trying to sign these guys. The news would be that they want to sign for the team. You know, that's when it gets interesting to me. I mean, I'm thinking about a scenario. I, you know, I'd love to throw at least one wild conspiracy theory out every episode. So when Enios completely pulls out of the sport, all those riders are left without a contract <laughs> in 2025. Maybe yeah. we see them, you know, maybe that's how that's the parlay that gets Pidcock into this Red Bull squad. And yeah, that could be quite, that's not crazy. That's not crazy by the way. Yeah. You also have to think, as you noted, because Red Bull's media house is the best in the game. If I'm a bike sponsor, wow. I'm so excited to have that contract. Like, oh, I mean, yeah. any sponsor on the team, you're going to get such massive amplification from being a part of this deal in the halo of that Red Bull media impact. If you're specialized, you're, you're like laughing all the way to the bank. This is the best thing that's happened to yeah. you over the transfer. Yeah. Season. And then going, going and back to why bikes cost $20,000 and why, you know, if you want to get a new <laughs> SRAM wireless derailleur, that's like Tiagra level, it now costs, I think three grand. Maybe that's why. Yeah. And then how is Primo's Roglic getting paid, you know, 6 million euros or whatever. It's because Specialized is paying a big chunk of that salary. Speaking of Ineos, so, so summation, Red Bull is a significant addition to this team. I don't think they will be a super team by any means this year. They have Primoz Roglic who wins almost every race he enters. That's, pr that's a pretty good start, but I would cool the Jets on the Wout and Remco joining. Maybe they get one of the three of Wout, Remco, and Tom Pitcock next year. But you know, if I'm Wout, you got a pretty good situation at, at Visma, especially as they, um, the rest of the classics guys get a little older and you, you know, you have Jonas, but you have, you, what if he wins the Giro this year? We still, we don't know what's going to happen to the Giro. I'm excited about it. I think he might be able to win it. Let's see before we make judgments about what Wild is going to do in the future. So let's go to your favorite rider. Interesting news about him, Andrew. Garrett Thomas saw Tade Pogacar do the Giro Tour double and thought, you know what? 
I just need to be beat by the same rider twice in two consecutive Grand Tours, and he's going to do the Giro Tour double. Were you surprised by this? I think a lot of things seem like a good idea after 10 pints at the local pub. So I'm, I'm not, that su- <laughs> not that surprised that Garen Thomas is all in on the double. I also wanted to add one last thing on this Red Bull issue before we go fully into Garrett Thomas, which I love to do. I am wondering, with is it too wild, Spencer, to think with a lot of riders racing in multiple disciplines throughout the year, now that we have this Red Bull Bora alliance, we have Primos, do we potentially in 25, instead of seeing him fade into a support role going into gravel, does he potentially do GC efforts and ski jumping. <laughs> he goes, what does he ski jump? I've never heard that before. Primos? Um, Primos? No, I'm come kidding. on, man. I'm kidding. Yeah, we got to we got to get the uh, <laughs> think about that. Has any rider ever done the telemark podium flex in two sports in one season? In one season. I think he did retire from uh ski jumping cuz he had like life-threatening injuries and it ended his yeah, career. But you that's know, why, that's why everybody leaves out. Nordic sports and then they do, I mean, Lamont was, he wasn't a ski jumper, but he was a downhill skier. That's why yeah. they all go into cycling. You have to think at this point, Primos is recovered from those injuries because of all the cycling he's done. He's ready to go back into competition, I think. <laughs> he might be too overweight. <laughs> he's he's bulked yeah. up. He's a big uh, GC bike rider now. He can't he can't jump as high anymore. Um, I I gravel. I I had never thought about Primus doing gravel. I don't. Does he seem like the guy we want to be sending off road? All due respect, he's probably my favorite rider. I don't know if I really trust him on on those loose marble. Downhills. I don't know if I I trust him either. But one thing we can say for certain: Garrett Thomas has developed like probably the most impactful individual media platform in professional cycling. And as we think about this Giro Tour double, is there something related to that media play there for him? Yeah, yeah. it was going to be harder for him to podcast. He was actually like an amazing podcaster about the tour yeah. last year. I mean, it, you, could tell, you could tell it was almost like physically painful for him not to be at the right. race. Um, I think he didn't enjoy it. If you really just start sit back and think about this from his perspective. He has to go to the zero. That's a really good course for him. It would be silly not to go. Um, will he win? You know, you know, maybe not, probably not, but he also has to go back after losing the zero like he did on stage 20. You've got to go back. It's a good course. You know, I guess it's good for Garrett to go to the tour. I'm a little surprised though that, you know, this just shows how far Enios has fallen. Like think how competitive it, you, you had to be to make it into their tour right. team. You certainly couldn't be coming off at a Giro, you know, to no, be, no way. I, I would assume some sort of designated leader. And this is just like the classic Ineo scramble that's hurt them year after year. Like you have Carlos Rodriguez, who probably should be their leader because he had a really good tour last year. And you're going to have Garrett Thomas going and it's like going to be, well, I will let the road decide. But every, every day, one stronger than the others. So you're never really consult. This is what they did at the Giro this year. They had three guys in the top 10 overall and they never use them to help garrett thomas so they just kind of all float around the top 10 like this is just going to be the same thing at the tour this year it's i i'm a little shocked that enios it makes sense for garrett thomas i'm shocked that this is enios's plan what do you do with thomas if he totally tanks the giro 
which could happen. I mean, particularly given his advanced age, I just think it's highly unpredictable what's going to happen to him at the Giro this year. And then you're already all in on the tour. I suppose yeah. you just swap in a different rider. So I'm wondering if there's, you know, do we have a backup strategy in place? We're going to bring in a Man U rider. I mean, what are we going to do? <laughs> the Man U goalie is, is now doing the, uh, the tour for them. And that, yeah, and this is synergies. This is cycling 5.0, people. It's synergistic relationships between our different sports. I'm just looking, I'm, I'm vamping while I look at their roster. I don't, I mean, if they went full stage hunter, it, it would be great. You know, they have, seems like the best young Americans, like super infantile Americans are on Ineos, but they don't have a lot of great GC options. I like, right. I said, uh, they have Carlos Rodriguez who's really good. Timon Arnsman has kind of hit a plateau slash regressed. I mean, Josh Tarling maybe is a GC guy in the few years, but they don't have, I mean, Egan Bernal, I mean, in theory, but I don't think he's going to be recovered or back to where he was by this year. I, I almost think they're sending Garrett Thomas because they don't have he tanks to zero, they might just have to forge ahead and, and have him do the tour and hope that he, he has a good race. Cause that's the thing about Garrett Thomas. He's old. I mean, I, I kind of give him a hard time, but the guy can, you know, once a year, he can put, put down a great grand tour performance. Yeah. So, you know, I would maybe send him, he might be your best option, but you, you mentioned about his podcast. He's a very good podcast. Um, Patrick bro from the lantern Rouge podcast was doing an interview this week. And he said that he, they, he and Benji Nassen, pitched Remco on a show, a weekly show that Benji would do with Remco in Dutch during the season. Remco said no, because like, I don't want to, you know, I'm going to say something and it's going to get aggregated. It's going to be a big pain in the butt. It's not going to be enough money for me to, you know, I'm, I'm getting paid so much to ride a bike. Why would I do this? But Garrett Thomas, I guess he's at the end of his career and this is, he can kind of step right into the podcast when he's done. But the reason I think he, he does a show and his show is popular. I think a lot of writers could do shows that aren't popular. Yeah. Um, but like a, a Primo's Roglic show. Oh man. I don't know. I, I'm, I may be Primo's Roglic's biggest super fan. I don't think I would listen to that one, but Garrett Thomas is like unbelievably candid on that show. Yeah. I don't think that's something that many writers would do or probably should do. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes me wonder what dirt he has on team management that enables him to go and, and say the <laughs> stuff he does, because I can't imagine most people being in the position he is saying some of the things he has said about his employer. I, I, I'm kind of kidding, but I wonder if it's so chaotic over there, and especially with the Man United stuff, I wonder if they even really know about it. Yeah. <laughs> like, how distracted are they? It kind of feels like all the attention's been pulled away from the cycling team, and like Steve Cummings is the one that really pays attention and he's probably thinks the show's funny and likes to yeah, listen to it and wants Garrett Thomas to keep doing it. You're probably but, right. Spencer, what do you think about to, the trend of um, a lot of teams have announced, or not a lot, but some of the most significant teams who will have the highest impact on the 2024 Tour de France have already released their team rosters for the race. So yeah. This is highly unusual. We haven't seen this in the, the recent past. I don't get it. I mean, I guess it's fun for fans. You know, we all get to you know, the Twitter is a light with conversation when these come out. I, I feel like Enios used to release like back in the Team Sky days, they would release theirs like two days before the tour yeah. comes out. I, I, I don't totally see the advantage. I, 
why they release it this early. Like, what's the upside there other than that everything's clear within the team and people know where they stand? But, you know, you're going to look at these lists and it's going to seem exciting. Like, I had drinks with a pro runner and she was like very pumped about the tour, like the Rimco, Primos, Tade, Jonas, Face Off. And it's like, I hate to break it to you. Two out of two of those guys probably won't start because they're going to be hurt because they'll have crashed. One will be sick. I mean, you raised a good question during the tour this year, Andrew. You said, have we ever had a real three-way battle? Yeah. You know, you always have these contenders and it always seems to be at best a two real contender battle. It's so it does make it look exciting when you see all these names, but I, the reality is these start lists are going to be so different that to the point where I don't really know why they release this. Do you, do you have any, would you do it? Do you think it's a positive? Yeah, I'm imagining it's uh, for people who are highly compensated that they want to keep motivated. They're telling them they have a guaranteed slot. And then I imagine that if they're not actually performing or they have a wreck prior to the race, they'll get yanked from the roster. Cause I don't imagine that the uh, teams actually have any obligation to honor these commitments. So it, maybe it's just like, we'll keep you happy now and then maybe we'll disappoint you later and push you off the team or you'll just have to deal with it. I'm on uh, pro cycling stats where they do have preliminary rosters listed for the 2024 tour. And some of these, I don't know if they're accurate. It says the, the one writer that's confirmed for EF education, easy post is Richard Carapaz. And the name that I'm most curious about right now, Lotto Destiny, Victor Campanerts. You know what a you know <laughs> you know what a big Campanerts fan I am, and I I I love that he he's such a star on that team. But like, well, you got it, you got to put Victor. Oh, in. he cannot yeah, miss. He's this not going to miss this race. I feel like of all of the riders in the peloton, Taco Vanderhorn is maybe the other one. Those have to be the two guys who are most highly impacted by the new canted brifter regulations and i'm sure you've seen there are a handful of manufacturers who have already put out bars that are they're like 20 centimeters wide at the hoods and then they have flare drops going out to yeah, like a staggering yeah. like 36 centimeters i think i'm really curious to see what we're going to see happening from uh, a human on the bike positioning point of view going into this tour and then course what's the knock-on effect out at cbr what are we going to see on the bus stop ride and of course the bagel ride here in the mid-coast main area it all trickles down to the bus stop i mean i so apparently the reason they changed this or the reason they said they changed it i think the reason they changed it is because it's super dangerous to have your brifters pushed in like that they said that if you push your brifters in like that on carbon handlebars you're you're torquing it in a way that it's not meant to be and they can crash and you could die. And I did see handlebars on a Kofidis rider's bike at the tour this year just fall apart as he was riding along. Like you could die if that happened. So that's not good. Probably good they banned that. But these, you know, these ones that naturally can't in, are you a little surprised that riders are willing to do this or at least advocate so much for their ability to do it? Because it clearly is hurting your ability to steer and we had a rider die last year on the descent on a descent in a world tour race and it seems like no one doesn't seem like that has really had any effect on the peloton of like maybe we should prioritize like good steering and like mm. being able to turn the handlebars and control our bikes on downhill well said spencer well said 
I'm just, it seems like I'm just shocked that like no one, like, could you imagine trying to ride one of these bikes? I think I would find it difficult. Yeah, it is. It is difficult. I mean, I'm not running super narrow bars, but I dropped down a couple of centimeters and I tried a, a very canted in position. And if you're riding a deep section wheel and a long stem, like even on a straight road, if you a crosswind hits you, you don't have a super high degree of control. And you know, no. and you know, if you're you're in a group or you're at the front of a pace line, you are extremely aero and you can go much faster with less effort, which at the end of the day is what it's all about. It's what it's all about, baby. Yeah. Um, I, I have a transatlantic flight to catch, but we have, we, let's talk about cycling. This is, this is a racing podcast. Let's give uh, the racing fi- at least five right. minutes. Did you see, watch this cyclocross Benidorm last week in Spain? I think, I believe I heard like 17,000 spectators, the largest crowd. I don't, I've, I haven't verified this. I just heard the largest crowd for any cyclocross race outside of Belgium. But were you at, you know, Crossworlds and, and Louisville, they kind of had a lot of people. So I'm, I'm now I'm even doubting that as I say it. Yeah, the this of course is the wow finish without a seat race. In case you're you're following <laughs> along out there, and I, I haven't really seen any follow up with Wout on that. He was just sitting on like just the seat clamp. Yeah, it was the seat clamp. I mean, it can't have been. I it, I would imagine it wasn't comfortable. I'd also imagine he just had so much weight on the pedals. I bet he was just barely sitting on it. Yeah. But he was going through like technical sections of the course without a seat. It yeah. was pretty impressive. Yeah, it was quite impressive. And I couldn't tell from the footage whether there was any rail remaining. Because it looked like what happened was the shell of the saddle snapped. I'm assuming he had carbon rails and the carbon rails. Yeah. I yeah, kind of going back to, I don't know how you feel about this, Spencer. I'm a bigger human uh, as far as cyclists go. I don't feel real good about running carbon saddle rails or carbon handlebars, even in 2024. I just, I don't trust it. Honestly, carbon stems as well. I don't feel good about any of those things. Yeah. I I don't run any of those carbon handlebars. I will tell you, I mean, they might feel good. They might be light. You might think you're fast. I would never recommend them to a hobbyist, to an enthusiast, because when you crash, you hit your handlebars really hard and you will crash at some point. What's going to happen is they're wrapped up. You don't know if they're cracked or not. And then you're riding around on cracked carbon, potentially. And as I said earlier, if your handlebars fail while you're riding, that's very bad. So I would never recommend carbon handlebars. Carbon rails, I mean, I, I ride steel rails. I, I, don't, I don't need the weight savings. I just want my seat not to fall apart. I felt very vindicated watching this race. <laughs> like This is why... You don't have carbon rails, kids. But I mean, they, these guys are trying to save every ounce they can. So I understand it. But I, I wouldn't recommend it. I mean, these carbon, like a carbon shell saddle with carbon rails, like that's going to break when you crash. Yeah. The other thing that hasn't been discussed in this Wout MVDP, I don't know if we would call it a rivalry. People wanted to see MVDP either win all the races, uh, you know, go undefeated. That would have been cool potentially. There's, there's been so much coverage in the last couple of years about Pog's hair tufts. Why is no one talking about the fact that MVDP now has a mullet? Like he's grown his hair out for the first time in his career. It's, it seems like he's really coming into his own and, and <laughs> discovering who he is. He just moved out of the house. Yeah. He's grown, grown his hair out. 
um, experimenting with trying to win every cross race in a season. I mean, I don't know, like this race, I know a lot of the crossheads don't like it because it was in Spain and it was dry and warm. I thought it was oh, awesome. It was so um, cool. The faster course was so fun. You had more people in the mix. You had this, this poor man is so good. And I cannot say his name, Michael Venterhout. Van, Venterhout. Venturnout. Venturnout. You're waking up at four in the morning to fly to a race, you know, at 6 a.m across the continent uh, pretty good second place considering that but i mean he was right there behind that Rob. was, fen- you know, yeah, even that as, was even- phenomenal that that really struck me because when you watch that uh that uphill straight that they had just like the level the difference in the level between wout vanderpool everyone else in the race in except the for van turn out <laughs> yeah. it was just you know it was like watching adults race against five-year-olds yeah, it looked like you're like, what's his birth? What's his? I want to see his birth certificate. That guy's too old to be racing with those kids. Like that's what it felt like. It was unbelievable the speed and power Wout and uh, Vanderpool were putting out on that uphill section. The, to bring me back to my point, so Vanderpool wins the first ten races of the season. He loses this race to Wout, kind of crashed. It's like there's like Zabruder versions of this crash it wasn't on the telecast but like people recorded it i tried to watch one it was locked behind a paywall i'm not gonna pay for that i'm just gonna trust that he fell in sand or something but you know let's even before he crashed i don't know if he would have won this race and he and you know like some of these other guys are pretty good like did he come out too strong in the season and i know he really wants to win seven cross titles world titles in my opinion why like i want to do a lot of things that aren't good ideas maybe don't do that but is he going to choke this because he was so strong so early in the cross season or do you think this is a blip and he's just like back to dominating this weekend you know you just answered your own question <laughs> i thought some i thought michael looked pretty i mean good, who else yeah, who else right. is actually going to show up because wout's not racing pidcock's not racing it's, right it's back to the the cross guys so it's yeah. really only I mean, Thibaut Nice, I guess, in theory, but I don't think so. I think it's just yeah. it's just one guy that can challenge him um, for the rest of the yeah, season. Yeah, I think the only thing that takes Vanderpool out of this race is uh, it would be like the year that he was racing Wout and there was, there was a nail buried in the debris and he got a nail in his tubular. Number one, I don't think that there are going to be nails out there this year. And number two, I just don't think anyone's on his level, even if he has a bad day with the regular cyclocross professionals, I, I mean, come on, I don't see him losing. <laughs> That's crazy. Where I, I do tend to agree with you. It's crazy that we're talking about like the best cross racers in the world, and we're like, not even, not, they don't even have a chance. Like, even if this guy has a bad day or he's out of shape, he's going to win. It's, it's pretty staggering what he's doing. I mean, I'm sure he will get seven cross world titles. I'm not quite sure I would recommend that. I think the rest of the season could be a little tough for him. And he has like big goals. He wants to win every monument. He wants to win the Olympics. He wants to win the Olympics road race and mountain bike race. Um, could be, could be a little tough to, to accomplish all that. I would maybe try to rest a little bit if I were him, especially since he has an overuse back problem and uh, knee problem, maybe, maybe just the back. But tour down under Andrew, we can give this about let's give this about sixty seconds. This is this is you could probably watch the highlights for this race in about sixty seconds. I think the two big stories from Tour Down Under, Sam Wellsford, that guy's strong. Wow, is he strong? Oscar, you know, Isaac Del Toro, the twenty year old on UAE in his first world tour race, wins 
a stage. Pretty impressive. Like looking, making people look like they're standing still with that late attack. Um, and then Steven Williams winning. I think that's more of a function of, I mean, Williams is a very good rider. I think it's more of a function of Israel Premier Tech going all in on Tour Down Under because there's a lot of UCI points on offer because it's a World Tour race. So it's actually a really smart way to get World Tour points if you need them. But what do you think about these Wellsford sprints? I mean, Bora, clearly an amazing lead out. I think Danny Van Poppel's undisputed the best lead out rider in the world right now. Is Wellsford like the next great rider or is he just benefiting from sub three hour stages with no elevation gain and finishes that let him use a 56 to chain ring? Yeah, I think that's the answer. And just looking at his body, I can't imagine that body going over a mountain and being able to do that <laughs> at the end of a race anywhere else. I think he would do... I think he'd do pretty well. I'm not sure he would podium, but he'd do all right as a CBR race. And <laughs> I mean, the other big question mark for me, like with Caleb Ewan back at Jayco Alula and on what must be a much faster bike than we've seen him on the past couple of years, just based on comments in the industry and from writers about those Ridleys, they did not seem like I think he said that in a recent interview. Yeah. But I, I, he I mean said that he was Yeah, on. in addition to that, just like on on its face, he was on a five year old design. He's a sprinter. I can't imagine that that is among the fastest bikes in the Peloton, that Ridley. So yeah, now he's on a giant propel that's should be a fast bike, I think. And he doesn't, you know, he didn't do well. He did win the Australian crit national championships the actual pro race, not the elite race. And, you know, then he shows up. Like <laughs> what seemed odd about this to me, I don't know if you caught this. He, so he's sick going into the race. And then they asked, Matt White was asked about it in a press conference and basically said, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> that, that to me does not indicate that things are going well here at the outset for Caleb. And then I'm looking at, you know, again, I'm looking at the preliminary start list for the tour. The public narrative is that Groenwegen and Caleb are simpatico. They're going to be targeting different races. I mean, it's like Caleb wants to go to the tour. He wants redemption. He had, he was just publicly humiliated last year. And, you know, he blamed it on not having an appropriate um, preparation and his team not allowing him to go to races that he needed to do to be at the right level at the tour. I don't know. I mean, that that's his story, but he's going to go back with another sprinter. Who's one of the fastest sprinters in the world. How's that going to go, Spencer? Yeah, is very good points. Very good questions. I mean, the UN thing was interesting because he was like, you know, I listened to an interview with him on the cycling podcast, like, a week before the race and he, he did say like and he's right ridley stopped developing that bike you know that bike was a stagnant mold it was slow the thing is slow bikes were not stopping caleb ewan sickness is not stopping caleb ewan and i would like losing stages at the tour down under is not a big deal like you actually don't want to win at the tour down under there's a really bad correlation between winning there and success later in the year you could argue in the macro sense for your team, is it good to like get the good vibes going? It could be probably good, but for an individual rider, it's actually not a good indication of success later. My concern with Caleb is, I mean, he's not even, he's not even putting himself in a position to be slowed down by a bike. Like he, he was sitting down on the hoods, I think on stage three, like he couldn't even get in position to challenge the sprint. And that's been a problem for like the last 24 months. Like he just cannot get in position 
to sprint. So it's not like, oh, like Robbie McEwen one year, like broke his knee, like broke his kneecap and had a big knee injury, came back, was never the same, but he was like getting second, third and big sprints. You know, he just was lacking that top in speed, but McEwen could always get where he needed to be. My concern is like Ewan is just looks lost out there, like looks like he's still in the wilderness. So I don't know how this is going to go. It, it is notable Dylan Grunewig and won a, won a race this same weekend that the Tour Down Under was going on. We won it in Europe. Michael Matthews won. So it's kind of this odd thing where Jayco strikes out at their home race after Luke Platt said they're going to win every stage and the overall. But maybe if Luke Platt didn't crash out, yeah. they would have won the overall. Yeah, maybe. But it's not a good look. And I, I mean, I think it's... You know, maybe I'm wrong, but I kind of felt like Jayco didn't prioritize the tour down under this year and that it was a bit of a kid's table. And maybe yeah. the uh maybe the the grown up table is in Europe and that's where their focus is this year. And that Dylan Gronewegen, I mean, I don't think it's controversial to say is is the team's probably Tour de France sprinter. I have a hard time believe Caleb's gonna go. Yeah, Caleb also said, or Matt White said that. Caleb and his lead out man and lead out train to tour down or under had never ridden together before prior to the race. So yeah, it's like, how like does, that. how yeah. does that happen? Yeah. That's, I don't like, know. Did you it not, seems weird to me. Just seem a little weird. That's a weird, no comment on the sickness. Too. Right. Don't you go That's, to training camp and work on your lead out train a little bit? Yeah. You would imagine you'd be doing that all like December and yeah. January. I mean, maybe I don't know. Maybe the guys who go to the tour down under don't go to the training camp. I don't know if I like that. That's though. possible. I feel like even the, like the Boulevard team in Kansas City is probably doing that to get ready for the <laughs> the race at the Budweiser distributorship and Lenexa on Wednesday nights in like May. Like they've probably done a couple of rides in January in like twenty degree weather to get ready for that. We yeah we jest, but the Perry Dam series is probably starting up like next week, and I guarantee yeah. you the Boulevard Cat Five team is practicing their lead out probably today and tomorrow. Yeah, shout so, out. um, shout out, shout out, baby! Man, we got to get back to that Dam series. Maybe we'll do a live podcast. It'll be twenty seven degrees. We're doing a live outdoor podcast and doing a yeah. race. It's like you know these races; they just can't happen in the summer or fall. Yeah. <laughs> like they have to happen in February because Kansas has great yeah, weather. You got the the Froze um, Toes Classic coming up in Columbia, Missouri, oh, yeah, as well yeah. in March. I uh, I always was like, you know, when I would just kind of cycling when I was at KU, I was like, man, that's a big race. Like, would love to do well at that race. And then <laughs> I moved to Colorado from Hawaii, and my uh, guy on my team was like, yeah, no, one one year I went out to Froze Toes, and uh, I accidentally won it. I got in the breakaway, and this local guy was like. I was at heart rate 130 and he was dying and he's like, Hey man, let me win the race. And I was like, okay, I will. And then Ooh. I actually dropped him and won the race. Oh. I'm like, Oh man. Wow. <laughs> oh no. The, the thing I've been aspiring to is a joke, but thanks Andrew so much. I know you're busy with the launch of your product and we're all excited to hear about it. And we will try to be back in the next few weeks to update everyone on the racing that's been going on. Safe travel, Spencer. Thank you. I'll come back with an in-depth report on, on the uh, Richmond Park cycling scene. 